everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Everybody, welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this momentous day. In one week, we will be celebrating 10 years on the air. That's a big deal. And 10, 22 years of marriage. Uh-uh. Yeah. Let's hear it. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm here with the luckiest woman in America. Let's be honest. Feels All right. that way. Really so feels we, that But way. we have a great show today. Uh, Ryan Rotino's in with us. He is the man behind the kitchen at Bresca, mm-hmm. which just won a Michelin star, which Woo-hoo! is a big deal. It is a very big deal. Uh, but even more important, they've got, a, they've got a restaurant that's gone carbon neutral, and that's a big deal in this world, and we're going to be talking about his Michelin star. I think you have it tattooed on your chest. Or anything like <laughs> Not, that? Yet. Not yet. <laughs> and about going carbon neutral. So um, it's inescapable that there are many homeless people in D.C. There's 7,500 people roughly homeless on any given night, and about a third of them are considered chron- chronically homeless. And Miriam's Kitchen is in the battle to end chronic homelessness and hunger on the streets of Washington. Um, Chef Sarah, uh, I can't even say it. Try saying Chef Cheryl Bell quickly. Chef Cheryl Bell. Chef Cheryl Bell. Well, that's because you're erudite in her vein. Yes, yes, yes. uh, Chef Bell's in with us from Miriam's Kitchen to talk about that. And we also have Izzy Moody. uh, You're going to love this. Izzy Moody and Lizzie Ferrante from George Washington (laughs) University. Izzy and Lizzie. Izzy and Lizzie. Woohoo! Izzy, Lizzie. Anyway, they're in from the Grow Garden at George Washington University. They've got this huge garden, and they raise money. Uh, raise money. They raise food that they deliver they to Miriam's food. Kitchen. They grow food. Well, they're raising it. They're you're growing raising it. it. They're you, growing it. You talk to them, then you're okay. raising them. All right. Can you An- finish the intros? Angelina because the show Kluthis. is almost over. Angelina Kluthis is executive director of the Vince. Is it Vincente? Yeah. Yeah, I did it. Vincente Ferrer Foundation. VFF USA, they help provide rural communities in India with training and tools and technology to help development there and make sure no one is left behind. And joining her is her friend Andrew Holand. Did I do it right? Nicely. From Grapes of Spain, and every year Grapes of Spain provides uh, wines and pairs with uh, D.C.'s top restaurants to help support VFF USA's event. On uh, It's an annual event, a fundraiser. It's happening October 20th. We'll hear all mm-hmm. about it. And drum roll, please. Taste of Bethesda's back. Uh, Saturday, October 6th, mm-hmm. uh, Brennan O'Malley and Stephanie Koppel are in uh, from the Bethesda Urban Partnership. And my boys from Rock Bottom <laughs> Brewery boys. are You've in. never met them before Brewmat, today, they're still but my now boys. they're your boys. They're my boys now. And they're actually men. Uh, Jeff Lively boys. and GM Shane Weeks are in. Uh, they're involved in uh, Taste of Bethesda, and they're going to be pouring brewskis. Mm-hmm. They've already poured them. Okay. But first, let's go to Mitch Berliner, who's out there at Central Farm Markets. You got lucky. It didn't rain on you today. Hi, Mitch. Oh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. What can I tell you? Thank you, and uh, happy 10th anniversary. Thank you, darling. Also, our 10th anniversary with Central Farm Markets. Oh, is that true? Is it really? Yep. Yep, the retirement project that got way out of control. Oh, all right. Well, I didn't get so, you anything for your 10th anniversary. So we will. So well, tell us, yeah. wait, so uh, for, ten, for celebrating 10 years of Bethesda, uh, Bethesda Central Farm Markets, what are you guys doing? Well, we are, we've got a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. We've got live music. Mm-hmm. We've got distilleries. We've got a, um, an outfit that makes wine out of honey, a meadery here today sampling. Okay. We've got tons of vendors. 
We've got this, the start of the apple and pear season. We have Comice, Bartlett, Potomac, Magnus, Asian pears. Too many kinds of apples to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have got tomatoes, corn, peppers. How long do you plant. think the tomatoes and corn are going to last? Um, we'll be growing outside. Could be even because remember we into have October. I mean, well, we're in October, right? So we'll we'll probably still have stuff growing outside for maybe another month. Great. The end of October. Yeah. I'm all for it, guys. That uh, grow inside, both hydroponically and in heated dirt. They will go through at least December, and then we will be back at it in, believe it or not, February with heirloom tomatoes. Yeah, that's amazing. So year round, it is. Okay, it is, can you can I just can great. I just hone in on something you said? What is heated dirt? It's dirt that they heat. I know, but where are they heating it from? Underneath. Okay. Yes, underneath. It's raised beds. Okay. okay. And they actually put a heating element cool. in the dirt, and so that's what helps. You know the. Sounds sort like of, quote-unquote, trick the plant to thinking it's not winter and going to hibernation. Cool. So um, so that's one way to do it. You can also heat Are, are the, the plants disappointed stand. when they find out they've been tricked? <laughs> no, they're not that they're not. smart. Oh, they're not. Okay. You know, thank God. Well, we not have some yet. experts here. We'll ask Izzy and Lizzie. <laughs> yes, we'll ask so them in just a little plants. bit. Right. right. <laughs> so okay, we, Mitch. of course, uh, also today Let's I will tell you that the Fairfax. Yes. Mosaic District, they're having their big Fairfax supply contest. Oh, right. That's today. uh, Yep. That's today. And they're raising money there for their local food bank, Food for Others. Excellent. So if you're around, go take a look and see what's going on there. All right. You got it, Mitch. Thanks so much. Tell everybody where they can find you, please. Okay. Quickly, everybody. Saturday and Sunday. We are Saturdays at the Pike and Rose. We are at Montgomery Mall. Saturdays. We are Sundays today at downtown Bethesda on the Bethesda Elementary School pool parking lot and the Mosaic District. So go to centralfarmmarkets.com for more right. information. Thanks, you Matt. almost Thank nailed you. it right to the second, Mitch. Very <laughs> nicely done. You're becoming a radio pro. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Happy anniversary. Learn from the best. See you guys. That is Bye-bye. true. All right. So everybody, want to let you know you can now watch us on Facebook Live. Go to Nikki Nellis. NYCCI. I'm looking especially studly today, so please do turn in. <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk Taste of Bethesda. We've got Bren O'Malley and Stephanie Coppola from the Bethesda Urban Partnership and the boys from Rock Bottom Brewery. I can't believe you guys have Jeff never been Jeff Lively in. and Shane Weeks. Well, I've been into your place. Why haven't you been to my place? That's the question. <laughs> That's why right, we brought so them. <laughs> let's hear a little bit about uh, Taste of Bethesda next week. So Taste of Bethesda is next Saturday, October mm-hmm. 6th. We start at 11 a.m. and go till 4 p.m. Um, what year it's is in, this? How many years This is the 29th year. 2018. <laughs> 29th year of celebrating food and music and fun and all kinds of great things in downtown Bethesda. Uh-huh. We'll have close to 50 restaurants this year. We're wow. super excited. We've had a bunch of new restaurants Open in Bethesda this year. We've got three new Ethiopian restaurants. They're all know, coming to taste of Bethesda. Of Ethi- there's a there was a new one that just opened a couple. They've weeks all opened ago? within like the last six months, I think. Which so is amazing. They're all coming to the event. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to our tried and true folks like Rock Bottom and Alazo and Georgetown Cupcake. So it's a really nice event because you but know wait, your now, favorites Georgetown are there. Cupcake is on the other. S- Yes, Side. so Taste of Bethesda is for any restaurant in downtown Bethesda. Okay, so it's all of it. Everybody. So okay. even though the events in Woodmont Triangle, any of the 190 I restaurants are invited. Road was the Iron Curtain. <laughs> no <laughs> Iron Curtains in Bethesda. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> we want everyone to participate. It's, you know, it's just a really fun day. You don't have to pay to come to the festival. You just 
walk in for free. You buy tickets on site, um, uh-huh. tasting tickets to get the food, and um, super fun. Five stages of live entertainment. So there's rock music, there's jazz, there's bluegrass, there's um, lots of there's a cultural stage with West African dancers well, and Chinese lion dancers, and all kinds of good stuff. There's beer. Well, there is beer in the restaurants. There right. is not beer at the festival. That's so right. that's why we encourage people to go to places like Rock Bottom, which is right on so the festival can site. Stop well, by. Let me exactly. Bring those boys up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let them talk about their uh, delicious so, beer. <laughs> guys, give us like yeah, right. 15, 20 seconds on Rock Bottom and let's talk about the first beers you poured. I mean, you're a staple. You're a pillar of the community. In, in uh, we're Texas. actually, uh, you guys are celebrating your 22nd. Uh, we're, we actually celebrate our 22nd on December 9th. So we've wow. been there as long as you've been married. That's right. That's Amazing. why she proposed. Um, right. I did bring four beers today. Uh, a light beer, yellow beer, because 85% of the beer drinking public drink yellow beer. Mm-hmm. So you need an offering. And mine is Kolsch, and everybody can have a little taste if they like. Okay. Um, pass it. A very well, before approachable... we pass that around, why don't you give everybody a little 411 on Rock Bottom Brewery, please? Okay, Rock Bottom is a nationwide chain. Um, mm-hmm. We we started uh, in Colorado, and okay. that's hence the name Rock Bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, our first brewery was in the ground floor of the Prudential Building in downtown Denver, and they didn't have a name for the brewery yet. And as they were building it out, they're like, "We're the bottom of the rock, so we're going to call ourselves Rock Bottom." Excellent. Well, there's um, a reason for the name. Right, yeah, there you go. And so now we've uh, been around for almost thirty years. Our restaurant twenty two. And how many uh, locations are there across the country? Um, between Rock Bottom and Gordon Biersch, which is our sister company, okay, uh, we oh. have 55 breweries. Wow. And then we have another about 200 other restaurants that are part of our group. And with so, an now, awesome location across from Nat Stadium, too. So um, what, are you, what are you pouring first? Uh, so Cold Style Ale, we call it Lumpy Dog Light. Um, okay. And Cold Style Ale is a, a traditional uh, German beer from uh, Cologne, Germany. Mm-hmm. And we call it a Kolsch style ale because you're not allowed to call it Kolsch. Um, okay. In order to call it Kolsch, you it's not need culture. To, no, you need to be able to see the church steeple. Nobody got that of the we church in it. Cologne from the brewery to be able to call it Kolsch. And that's an interesting fact because until the Eiffel Tower was built, it was the tallest building, man-made building in Europe. Cool. All right. And so well, we call it Kolsch style ale, light beer. Right. Pass Send that around, and then we'll talk about it no, when we come let's back. Let's talk to, you. to Chef Ryan Rotino from Bresca. So. First, we got to talk about the Michelin star and congratulations because that is a big, big deal. Has it changed your life any? Uh, It's made it a lot more hectic, but no, it's been great. But it's exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah, the last violin playing for you. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. (laughs) Now the last couple weeks have been 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 great. It's been awesome to have a whole new base of like. Guests to come and join us. So, All right. but I want to talk. You know, we we are we do want to talk about being carbon free. But bistronomy, you know, that's on your website. <clears throat> what is that? Yeah. So the idea is like we've trained in a lot of contemporary, like high end kitchens, Michelin star, New York, and just bring that style of cooking and that same care that you would put into caviar and maybe like imported ingredients from all over Europe to more humble ingredients in a, in a setting where you can just have a great time and, and feel comfortable. I mean, do you do a lot of foraging and... So this year we, I'm, I've gone out and done some chanterelle, mush, chanterelle mushroom foraging, um, wild wood sorrel, things of that nature. Where are they? They're just Northern, out in the woods? Yeah, yeah. I live in Northern Virginia, so it's easy to get out there. Well, not there. only that. I mean, after all this rain, there's so much stuff growing. Exactly. Know, but we see stuff popping up in our yard and all that. I'm, I look at it, and I don't know if it's going to, like, it's well, like I mean, psilocybin it's gonna, yeah, or it's going to s- kill s- me. Send me a photo. Send right. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. 
so, I mean, the thing we really want to focus on is is why you went carbon free, how you well, went carbon is, free, like, and explain, what it is. Yeah, like explain why it was a necessity for the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, so the idea was like just to, it's not groundbreaking, right? There's a lot of places doing it, but it's just to start the conversation here in D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the idea of offsetting our carbon footprint. Um, as a restaurant. So what we did was there's a huge analysis that they come through and kind of like, how does your trash get taken out? Where do you source your proteins from? Do you use massive cuts of meat from large animals or do you use the off cuts that are just kind of stockpiling, right? So and who comes in and does an accounting of all so It's this? called zero carbon food print. They come okay. in and they do like this, the assessment and then they kind of give you a, like a report card mm-hmm. and then we see like where we're at as a, a restaurant. Are they a non-profit? Yeah, they are. Exactly. They're based out of the West Coast. And, um, and did they approach you or did you approach them? No, like, I approached them. Because were you like, we can do better? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we've always been like no plastic, right? No plastic tasting spoons in the kitchen. We use metal spoons so we're not throwing 2,000 pieces in the garbage. Sure. Like, no straws? No, no plastic straws. Like we have a very, we're trying to even source down to like the, the, like the tonic water and stuff that don't come in plastic container, like with the snap oh, with the, on top. Right. Exactly. And, but right now we do. So we make sure that part of our program really is hard. we cut all that I stuff. Mean, it's and so universal. It and is. It's such a yeah. part of our lives. It's hard to, to winnow it down. Yeah, it is. It's like been, it's proved challenging, but I think once you put those kind of narrow those walls, it really helps. We need to take a break. No, and once, well, when we come back, I want to talk about recycling and plastic in Mm -hmm. particular and how you know what is recyclable and what isn't. And I want to, and then we'll continue. I want to know more about the changes you made at the restaurant and how your score is changing. Yeah, for sure. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. There are we get back bubbles the... being poured in studio. Yes, How exciting is big that? bubbles. I just want to thank ProFish, the market at River Falls in scenic downtown Potomac. Mm-hmm. Uh, Central Farm Markets and Meat Crafters for sponsoring the show. Yep. And then we'll get into all that other stuff. But let's get back to Ryan Rotino. So we were talking off air about, you know, recycling is a real challenge because I heard a presentation on TV about from, from the district about... It's actually more difficult for them when, with it, you know, the plastic is just all all plastic is 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 mingled together because some of it's not recyclable. Right. But how the hell do we know? Because not everything that is recyclable has that little triangle on it. Yeah, it's it's definitely <clears throat> something that we're trying to become more knowledgeable on as well. We've heard like certain things like alcohol residue makes something non-recyclable, like the whole pouch theory and all these different things. So mm-hmm. like as a restaurant, we can't right now we're in the process of trying to learn some of that stuff ourselves. But we we just separate very vaguely as you would at home in, in order to. Well, you also so, said it's got to be clean. <clears throat> That's the other thing. So, right. You know. So what have you guys done once you got your report card Mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you were like okay this is we can do this this and this right we're gonna have to work harder on this yeah so one thing we need to work harder on definitely is our butter consumption right like we use a ton of butter so yeah exactly but like butter's bad for the environment yeah right that's not always a problem in my eyes but like uh one thing like you never realize how much like oils and things of that nature affect like the environment like when you grow up in kitchens you're searing all the time proteins and stuff so one thing we started to do to reduce, for example, that is we now when we buy our animals, render all the animal fats and then we pick the animals. Are back you buying up. whole animals? We do buy a lot of whole animals. Okay. Yeah. And then we render the fat, pick the animals that we're cooking back up in their own fat. So Let beef gets cooked in beef. Wait, wait, wait. We're down to doing that. Are we screwed? I mean, okay, that's not what we're talking about point. today. Well, right? I mean, saying, seriously, I mean, that's really down to it. Right. Yeah. I think like at the end of the day, like for us, it was just a way that 
we can start the conversation and talk about like, not only are we doing something that's better for the environment, we're saving money for the restaurant and we're cooking better food by utilizing the whole animal and like re- fortifying the flavor of cooking beef and beef fat and pork and pork fat. What does that so, do to your cost and your labor cost? Because there's, that's added steps and added work. Yeah, I mean like uh, I don't, at the end of the day, I always say like, I don't cost the restaurant any more money, right? Because mm-hmm. you just work harder. Like uh, a lot of us, we just like want to be part of the change. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we just put in the extra time in order to affect it, right? And so then, how does it affect the your bottom line? And do you consider yourself like an ambassador on this? Like, do you want more restaurants to follow your path? Yeah, I would love to, <clears throat> sorry, uh, continue the conversation with more people because like I said, it's like a win-win all the way around, you know, mm-hmm. better food saving on cost and ultimately like helping the environment. And it really does help when you can make some change, like certain changes, like not buying plastic spoons every week, right? right. That's a case of spoons every single week. You don't have to purchase any longer. There's like a like five gallons less of oil you have to purchase every week. So it really does help like me be more viable as a business. You know, I just want to add, we don't have a ton of time left, but right. I'm curious about the whole animal concept because mm-hmm. I think it's really hard for most restaurants to actually use the whole animal. Yeah, so do could, you work with other restaurants? Could, could you do sort of an animal share kind of thing? Because there was this whole trend like eight years ago where everybody was like whole animal. It was mm-hmm. very important, you know, right. with all that local. And then it sort of fell off the wagon. Yeah, so the whole animals that we purchase, we typically buy that like size appropriate, right? Like we could never handle a whole steer, right? right? But we do like whole goat butchery. Sure. Maybe all of our poultry's head on, foot on, like all of our lambs come in whole animal, chicken, okay. everything like that we even buy like uh, pork whole too and we're able to utilize the whole thing because we love our pasta so we make ragus and things of that nature like right, in the fall and the winter exactly okay. yeah and sausage meat comes like so there's always somewhere for us to to work it out so that's family amazing. meal too right yeah like, family we, we meal that's cook, right we still cook for our staff every day too so there's all, ultimately it's better if we can serve our own staff like great food too why not so we, tr- we try and utilize for that Cool. Okay. Well, we'd love to follow up with you and see like in a year, maybe Mm -hmm. like what your new report card is. Yeah. That's, that's like one thing we're interested in too, is like, how can we like keep evolving and like really getting better? Well, the other thing we talked about, which we don't have time for is off cameras composting because you have a garden on the roof. Right. You're composting up there and you're Mm -hmm. composting out of the kitchen, whatever you can. Yeah. Mussel shells, all the vegetable scraps go into our herb garden upstairs. So it really provides nutrients for the soil. And uh, yeah, it's good. Okay. You're saving the planet. That's hey, awesome. One restaurant One Michelin starred restaurant at a time. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks, Ryan. Thank you. All right, let's go back to these rock bottom boys. So yes. What are you doing special for Taste of Bethesda that we should know about? Uh, well, well, this year for the Taste of Bethesda, we're actually going to uh, be presenting four of our our dishes. Uh, one is our jalapeno cheddar pretzel bites, uh, served with a spinach con queso. Yum. Uh, the Where dough. are they today? <laughs> <laughs> He's such a glutton. Don't listen to him. Well, we, what we do special with the jalapeno pretzel bites is uh, we make the dough uh, fresh daily, but we actually use the spent grains from when Jeff here is brewing. Uh, when he's done brewing, we actually use those spent oh, grains like in our dough. Yeah, you say, environmental right? Right? is <laughs> running like rampant right? the studio. I'm going to eat this plastic so it doesn't get into the environment. I Absolutely. Uh, we're also serving a, a couple of our other specialties, like our uh, roasted vegetable mac and cheese for uh, some of the vegetarians out there. We're mm-hmm. also going to be serving uh, 
um, our beer braised bratwurst uh, with uh, sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on a, a, a pretzel roll. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're also going to be serving a salted caramel toffee cheesecake. Okay, so but will you guys, I know you can come to the restaurant to have the beer, right? Mm-hmm. But do, where are you serving the food? Are you serving the food in a stall or no, in yes, the restaurant? Absolutely, right in front, uh, you know, taste of Bethesda and and. Bethesda Urban Partnership has been kind enough to put our tent right in front of our restaurant. Oh, well, that's convenient. So when, once <laughs> right. you're done having a little sample, you can come in and have a whole meal. Okay, so, great. real quick, we got about another 40 seconds. You guys are, are, are selling your pumpkin. Is it a pumpkin ale it's, or for the uh, Kidney Foundation's benefit? Yep. A- absolutely. It's an a imperial pumpkin uh, elixir. It's Brom Bones. Uh, I'll let Jeff tell you about come it Come on, Jeff. Quick. Tell us about it. Uh, imperial pumpkin ale. Uh, yeah, we do call it Brom Bones Elixir, and if you don't know, Brom Bones is the bad guy in The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Right. He is the Headless Horseman, so Brom Bones Elixir. Um, and I, I swore off making a pumpkin beer for most of my career, and I was forced to by the company Edict that we're all going to do a national promotion with it. Okay. I said, if I have to make one, I'm going to make a really good one. And the I would biggest, hope so. The biggest deal about pumpkin beers is the spices and the rate of spicing and the blend of spicing. Yeah, because they're overdone. So I said, who knows most about that? And I talked to my two professional baker friends and talked to them about what spices and in what proportions. And then I don't know if you guys have ever been to a Penzi's Spices. Yeah. But if you walk into a Penzi's and they go, we'll show you the five different cinnamons from around the world we have. Right. Smell them. Which one do you want? Hey, here's our blend. Can you You, you can use that. And here's... You know, nutmeg from a couple different places in the world. Mm-hmm. So then it's all right. Let's make this beer as as tasty as we can. If I have to make it, I'm going to make a great one. Great. All right. What are you pouring for us next? Um, right now we have the hoppy beer. So we said you know 85 percent of the beer drinking public drink yellow beer. Mm-hmm. The other 15 percent, maybe 20 percent, um, gravitate toward hoppy beers. And okay. here's our version of a hoppy beer. Great. Um, so hop bomb we call it, and. Uh, it's got a bunch of dry hops in it, so hopped while it was cold, and so there's really bright fruit, uh, citrus, and uh, tropical character to the aroma <laughs> and flavor. Um, and I actually just got back on Friday from spending four days in the Yakima Valley in uh, or in Washington selecting hops for our company this year. You obviously Great. don't have enough to do it, Rock. It was bar. an okay. awesome experience. I'm gonna come work Anyways, with you, man. Enjoy okay. the hoppy beer. Come by. Right. Thank you. So now, speaking of food, <laughs> feeding people. So we mentioned at the top of the show that Chef uh, Cheryl Bell is the chef at Miriam's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. An amazing And that charity. GW University has this awesome garden where they're raising produce and donating it to the kitchen. So we've got Cheryl Bell with us, and we've got uh, Izzy Moody and Lizzie Ferrante, the Izzy and Lizzie show, and they're taking deep breaths. Does this look like this is hard to do? There's nothing to be nervous yeah, about. Yeah, you know what? Well, I don't Just want to don't say a bad college word, so and this way you don't okay. have to be crushed into each right. other. Okay. So, no, 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 just one. You can sit here yeah. on this mic. Yeah, we're all cool. And then she can <laughs> so, sit over Cheryl, there. So, tell okay? us a little, I mean, give us the, the quick 411 on Miriam's Kitchen again, and then and then what your job is there. Miriam's Kitchen is an organization that's dedicated to ending chronic homelessness and veteran homelessness in D.C. Um, we are also coming up on our anniversary of 35 years in existence. That's wow. got us beat. And our goal is to take food that would otherwise be thrown out or partner with other gardens and community um, organizations and purveyors to get those second cuts of meats or those things that would normally be discarded and turn them into restaurant quality meals for our guests. Okay. So how do you, first of all, how did you get involved with the organization? I was in a corporate partnership um, Mm -hmm. and became a volunteer 
And on my second visit, I knew that that was what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I spent 30 plus years as an executive administrative professional serving C-suite executives okay. and changed careers at 47. Did you get the wrong wow. food. Okay. <laughs> and so when you joined Miriam's Kitchen, what did you want to do there compared to what you're doing now? I wanted to give back to the community and create an environment where I was doing more for individuals, serving people, trying to improve mm-hmm. lives, and create an environment that I could be proud of where where I come from. Mm-hmm. So it was an opportunity to serve people. I found I got the greatest joy when I was doing things for other people to improve people's lives. Excellent. And, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, so how did GW and the Garden and all that, you guys chime in here, how did that get started and how did you end up with... Well, let's talk about how the garden got started. And working with Miriam's Kitchen. Yeah, so um, the garden at GW was um, started by students um, in 2009. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been entirely student-run and supported by the Office of Sustainability at GW. And um, Lizzie and I are really proud to be continuing um, the garden's relationship with Miriam's now. Um, And we give nearly all of our produce there. So what? how does your garden work? Like, Explain where it is and what the process is every year with it. So our garden's between um, 22nd and 23rd Street on H Street. Um, And so basically, Izzy and I are hired by the Office of Sustainability. And Izzy and I kind of go to the garden to do everyday things. And we also coordinate a pretty an increasing number of volunteers over the years. I was going to say, how many people work on the garden? Yeah, so it depends. We have two volunteer sessions every week. And we actually have like a potluck after our Sunday volunteer session, which we're going to be having later today. Um, But we can have as many as like, from like five people to like 20 volunteers well, who are students. And is there, is there, who puts together like the growth? Like, does Miriam's Kitchen say to you, here's what we need? Like, how do you guys come up with your garden concept for each year? So I guess recently we, at the beginning of the season, we contacted Miriam's um, and actually asked them what sort of stuff they need. Mm-hmm. And they need, or we found out they need a lot of like herbs and stuff. And we found out they don't like kohlrabi. But okay. <laughs> it's a hard one. No, yeah. kohlrabi. It's not easy to cook. Not a lot of people know it. Your guests need to eat things that they're familiar with. Right? So that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So we've been experimenting with herbs and stuff. Yeah. Um, and most of um, our produce now is actually going to Miriam's um, permanent supported housing program, which Chef Cheryl can talk a little bit more about. Just quickly, mm-hmm. what's the volume of, of produce that you deliver to Miriam's every year? Yeah, it really ranges. I think we've had deliveries where it's been like 60 pounds this summer, um, and a lot of it was kale, so we're producing a lot of kale this summer. <laughs> it grows. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how you guys are all working together and what ultimate goals are moving forward. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis as we round out year 10 and start year 11 on mm-hmm. the air. Pretty cool. So we're talking to uh, Chef Cheryl Bell from Miriam's Kitchen. And- but wait, before you do that, you should tell everybody we're having a huge party for yeah. our 10-year anniversary. All right. November the I was going to hold that to the end, but November well, 11th, it. we're the doing a It's not a secret. Two hour, what's, if you stop talking, I'd tell them. All okay, right, so it it's going to be a two-hour live special broadcasting from uh, Blue Jacket down in Southeast. You guys can mm-hmm. come to Blue Jacket and be part of the show. Absolutely. Um, we're gonna, there'll be more information about it. Blue Jacket also celebrates its fifth anniversary that day. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a party. It is going to be a party. And uh, there's room for a couple hundred people in the audience, and there's no admission fee or anything. Just come on down. Get schnookered and listen to the show. It'll okay. be fun. Or just enjoy the show. You don't oh. have to imbibe. Yes, you do. No. Okay. Well, it's a brewery, for God's sake. Okay. But okay. <laughs> Uh, Chef Cheryl. 
So uh, we would like to know more about Miriam's Kitchen and how they go about feeding their guests. How does that process work? Um, I always like to relate it to an episode of Chopped Mm -hmm. because we get various donations from various different places on various different days. So the menu planning starts with the proteins we have available. And then throughout the week from all the partners that we have and we get donations of vegetables and all the different produce, then we determine what the sides are going to be. So who are some of these partners that you get donations from? Is it like Capital Area Food Bank? Is it, I mean, do restaurants donate to you? Where where does it all come from? So Capital Area Food Bank, we have a partnership with Food Rescue US. We also have a partnership with Lion Bakery. Mm-hmm. Meat Crafters is a supporter of ours. They are. They're amazing. Yes. You mean you got Mitch to sit still long enough to respond to you? <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, Huntsmen. <laughs> we also uh, partner with farmers who have the authority to hunt deer year-round. Okay. And we have a processing place that sends us about 1,500 to 1,800 freshly processed venison per year. Okay. We have partnerships for beef. Um, what about gleaning? Do you work like... I know you guys have your farm, but do you work with other farms with gleaning? We do. We have Columbia Heights. We also go to Tacoma Park twice a month. Mm -hmm. And we have partnerships with Trader Joe's, who um, gives us a lot of produce twice a week. Um, Sometimes we also get things from Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. And so we get various things. Um, Jose Andres Mm -hmm. Restaurant Partnership through the Think Tank Group. They yeah. also donate to us as well. Okay. Um, so we have so many different partners that we work with to get all the different foods that we get mm-hmm. so that we can come together and just turn them into amazing food. All it's right. always about Let me wasting. jump in and ask, how many people do you feed at your facility and how do you handle homeless people that are out there in the world? So we feed approximately 300 restaurant quality meals per day. And we do um, breakfast and dinner Monday through Friday. For the guests who may not make it to Miriam's Kitchen, we have an outreach team who goes out and actually um, meets them and takes them food. And we also have a permanent supportive housing program where we try to take our leftovers, package them up into um, reusable containers that those guests, once they get housed, don't have the ability to cook, can still eat healthy meals. Great. Okay. And Lizzie and Izzy, I don't know which is which, but... <laughs> um, Why would you say you, Izzy? No. How did you guys get involved with the program at GW? Yeah, so we both um, joined as freshmen right mm-hmm. off the bat. Um, and we, like, I grew up um, working on farms and was really interested in continuing that at GW um, and have learned so much since um, joining the garden. About Like what? Like what did you learn? Um, mostly, honestly, like through Miriam's, learning a lot about how um, Miriam supports people experiencing homelessness and how um, we as students have a responsibility to support their work in that. And what about you? So I also kind of nat- like naturally fell towards the garden mm-hmm. when I was a freshman. I found a lot of like friendship and community at the garden. And it also, like I grew up gardening with my dad, sometimes Mostly not optional, but <laughs> but and I also did a little bit of farm work in high school, uh-huh. and so I it just like felt like that's great. This is though. the right yeah. thing. I mean, so now that you're doing it in this capacity, wh- what's your next step for you guys, and how do you want? How do you how do you see the farm at GW growing? I mean, what's your what do you want to? How do you want to make it yours as you're there at school? I think strengthening our relationship with Miriam's has been something that Lizzie and I have been really interested in doing. Um, Mm -hmm. We're actually both graduating this year, so we're going to be transitioning new guard managers in next semester. So Mm -hmm. I think making sure that relationship remains really strong and a a priority for the garden. And I'm curious, um, Chef, 
with since it is student run and it's uh, it changes a lot. There's new turnover every year. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? Do you feel like at the beginning of the school year, like, oh, I have to start all over again? Or are you like, this is great? This is a plant. No, 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 no. (laughs) But I mean, like, you know, you're making new relationships almost every year. Is that, do you feel that it's a way of spreading your word? Or is it, is it, what's your thoughts on it? I think it's great. It's always great to get new blood in, Mm -hmm. develop relationships. To do what we do, relationships are critical. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to develop relationships with people in order to serve a common goal, Mm -hmm. and nobody can do it alone. So it's great to have uh, partnerships with different people, new people coming in, and it helps get the word out about what we do. Excellent. All right. Can you tell everybody where they can find you, please? Yes, you can find us on our website at Mm miriamskitchen.org, or you can check us out on Instagram or Facebook the same, Miriam's Kitchen. And what about where can we find out more about the garden and what you all are doing? We have a Facebook page, the Grow Garden, the GW Grow Garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, we're the Grow Community Garden. You can also find us on Instagram, which is Excellent. just the Grow Garden. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Okay, guys. Crazy. Thank you. Thank you See, so much. Nothing so much. to be nervous about. <laughs> right. You guys did a terrific <laughs> this job. This isn't CNN. All right. Okay. Stephanie, why don't you step up and tell us a little bit more about who else is participating in Taste mm-hmm. of Bethesda on the sixth? Sure. As I mentioned, there's close to 50 restaurants participating. So we talked about some are tried and true folks like Georgetown Cupcake and Alazo. Haleo brings out their 10-foot paella pan, which. Everyone enjoys watching a huge 10-foot paella pan come to life. Um, it is we've got, a spectacle. It that is, is great. Um, three new Ethiopian restaurants. Um, the Big Greek Cafe just opened. Doghouse Beer Garden. Um, so many new folks. Lots of tried and true. So it's a mix of great dessert, coffee, Italian food, Asian food. Um, there will be Mexican food, good old-fashioned American food. So there's a little <laughs> bit of everything. Um, we tell folks, you know, don't eat the day before. Right. And it's a lot um, of food. get there at 11 because it gets crowded. And, and how much do uh, the just tickets enjoy. go for? How do the tickets work? So you purchase four tickets for $5. Okay. That price has not gone up in the 18 years I've been there. So wow. it's very reasonable. Uh, lots of restaurants give a great deal. So you get a lot of food for three or four tickets. And um, as I said, live music too. There's even a kid's corner. So there's face painting. I think there's cookie decorating with the kids this year. Um, free balloons. So Full family event. Um, and then if you don't have kids, there's bars on site. So you can eat and also go drink with our friends at Rock Bottom. Okay, but the bars are in the restaurants, right? Correct. You're Correct. not out as You cannot part of the walk through the event site with your beer, but you are invited and welcome to drink right. inside and the Jeff bars. And Shane, will, you, will you get your faces painted and all that? No, no <laughs> oh, yeah, cut, you're only a block away from <laughs> the kids' right. corner. Right. So, so let's, let's talk about the next beer you got. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys, can you just tell us what you're pouring next? Just make it quick, please. Um, so here we go. Seasonally, uh, Rocktoberfest. So traditional Meritzen-style beer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so beer that originally and traditionally was brewed in March because according to the German purity law, you Reinheitsgebot, you weren't allowed to brew in April, May, June, July, August. Those Germans are pretty rigid, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Mm. So the beer it's that's like brewed in March that gets... Everybody gets to drink as much as they want. They don't have to ration it out anymore once September hits. Excellent. So, Meritson, October 5th. Well, perhaps Great. they all should be nominated for the Supreme Court. Okay, okay. let's move on to another subject. Okay. All right. So, Angelina Cluthis is the executive director of the Vincente Ferrar Foundation. They provide rural communities in India with training and tools and technology so they can keep up with the rest of this crazy world. And she has a buddy in Andrew Holland, who is the uh, the U.S. sales manager, the international, national, the national world, the global, the international galactic sales director for Grapes of Spain. And they're both in it. First, Angelina, tell us about the event. 
Well, I'm super excited to be well, here. Well, first today. tell us about the foundation, well, and then tell the us about the event. Uh-huh. So uh, VFF has been in India now for 50 years. We're celebrating mm-hmm. our 50th anniversary this January, and we're doing amazing work there with whatever the villages want. So we work partner in 2,662 rural villages. They tell us what they need to be successful, and we make that happen. No like, what? Happen? like what? Like what? Yeah. Water purification systems, scholarships mm-hmm. so their kids can go to school, bicycles, because the high schools are 10 kilometers away, and that's right. an easy fix. Whatever it takes, we run five hospitals, 14 rural health clinics. Wow. And we've been doing this work now uh, for 50 right, years. But who was Vincente Ferrar, and how did a seemingly Spanish, Spanish? guy <laughs> get involved in India and decide to help? He had this, um, he, he has this amazing journey, and he's no longer with us, and it was always his dream to have the U.S. office. And so I'm really excited that I had the opportunity to open our first ever U.S. office three years ago. But his story is well, it's a long time ago. In 1958, he traveled to India. Some of us were here in Yeah, it's a while ago. Uh, he celebrated. He uh, was a Jesuit priest. He got to India and he started organizing rural farmers so they could sell their grains at a fair price and not have to work through middlemen. He, um, he got kicked out of India because he didn't want to convert anyone um, and invited back by Indira Gandhi. And so his project really started then when he got invited back to Andhra Pradesh, this place that no one else wanted to go. And today, like, you, when you look at Andhra Pradesh and Telangana, they're, they're some of the tech capitals of the world. What province are they in? Where are they're they? South India. So like the space between Hyderabad and Bangalore is really what we're talking about. And these these farmers, they're not being involved in the global economy in the same way that a lot of these tech co- companies are. And so we want to give them an opportunity to really be successful. And we do that by throwing really amazing parties in D.C. And uh, that's what I really we love like about my job. We amazing parties. We're all about amazing parties. Why have a meeting when you can have a party? Right, exactly. That's I said that this morning, I <laughs> <Right>. think. <laughs> so we're, this year we're really excited because it's our third year in the U.S. office. Um, every year we've gotten a little bit bigger. We started off at the former residence of the Spanish ambassador, first friend. You know, we were like, we're in, we have this weird Spanish, I mean, Indian, I mean, I'm not sure what we are, organization, and we're getting this party started. And the, uh, the embassy of Spain was so kind to give us the space. But this year we've really, like, grown up. Where I, are you this year? We are at the Capitol Hilton. And Ooh. I am not going to put every table and every chair out with my team of volunteers. It's really, like, a big deal for me. Like, maybe... I um, will you get some sleep the night before. I'm and... thinking it could happen this year. But... So that ballroom will take 2,000 people. Is that what you're hoping yeah, for? We're looking at uh, just uh, about almost 600. We're That's getting close to being sold out. Yeah. Uh, we have 20 of DC's best chefs. And we really <laughs> believe that food unites us all. So we've got Indian chefs. Like who? Who have you uh, got? My favorite. Uh, well, I, I don't have favorites. Um, some of my top <laughs> favorites include chefs like Can Vinod from Indique. Sure. We've got the chef from Rasika. Vikram. Vikram. Vikram is an amazing supporter of ours. Mm-hmm. Bombay Club going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like, we've got so amazing got Spanish chefs. I see it. Spanish chefs, we've got uh, Slate Wine Bar making a paella in-house. Oh, he's like fabulous. A, we love him. He was in fun, studio a couple of weeks ago. Really fun show, the paella mm-hmm. show. Um, we've got some amazing Spanish chefs like Jose, the chef from Joselito, David Sierra, who just mm-hmm. got some really great news with the Michelin situation. Right. And then some American chefs like Ben's Chili Bowl, Virginia Lee, is going to show up and make some vegetarian chili and some half smokes for our audience, which we're oh, really excited about. That's, great. that's awesome. All right. So we have two minutes. Tell me what. I want to hear about grapes of Well, Spain. that's what I was going to ask. So, well, I'm anticipating. Okay. So Grapes of Spain has been involved with the Vincent Ferrer Foundation for the last couple of years with mm-hmm. their annual fundraiser. We've donated wine. We're a 15-year-old company run by a Spaniard named Aurelio Cabestro. Are you our, headquartered here? Yeah. Our headquarters are in Lorton, Virginia. So we consider ourselves Washingtonians. 
I live on Capitol Hill, so I, 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 get right. to, uh, okay. I, I get to live it that way anyway. Uh, we're a 15-year-old company. All we do is uh, Spanish wine. We import Spanish wine to the U.S. and sell to distributors all around the country. Mm-hmm. So we're that first stage in the three-tier system of alcohol distribution. And we represent 30 wineries, about 100 different wines from all over Spain. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a couple of things we can taste today, including a, a cava, a sparkling wine. Sure. And a Let's get on it, man. Okay, all well, right, you know what? Great. So you Let's, don't have to stand up. Why yeah. don't we take a quick break, and then we can pass those out, okay? Great. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're trying Spanish sparkling. We'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. want to thank our friends at ProFish, of course. Market at River Falls, Central Farm Markets, and Meat Crafters with those fun skinny salamis for sponsoring our show. So let's mm-hmm. get back to you guys. Andrew, give us a little 411 on Spanish, the Spanish wines that you carry. Sure. So the wines we've brought out today, we've got uh, Cava. So Cava's traditional method sparkling wine. This is made like champagne. Is all Spanish sparkling wine, the white sparkling wine, called Cava? No. So Cava is a legal designation for wines that are made like champagne. Mm-hmm. The so in their method. Right. So the thing that's a bit unusual about Cava is most Appala- all other appellations in Spain, denominations of origin, as they're called in Spain, or denominaciones de origen, are from oh, a specific... Well, I just... I have to try, right? Right. So uh, the, difference well. is, the difference is that most of them come from a specific geographic area, and Cava is the only one that can be produced in multiple areas within Spain. So it's more about process oh, than so, about Which is where. so different than... So many other appellations like in Italy and France. Right. So it still follows the same rules in terms of certain allowed grape varieties and the process, but the process is the main thing. So it's made like champagne. That means there's this uh, initial fermentation in tank, a second Mm -hmm. fermentation in the bottle, and it's aged on the yeast. So you should find this sort of yeasty, crisp flavor. So now you have to taste it and we'll talk about what we taste, right? But so for a while, (laughs) I feel like um, there was a misrepresentation of cava because um, they're very inexpensive. They're very high sugar. You know, they didn't really show the quality of the cavas from Spain. Sure. But now, you know, with the uh, launch of so many Spanish restaurants in D.C., you have Del Mar, and um, they're showcasing really fabulous cavas. What do you what do you think that point is? So there, I think there are a couple things. There's uh, as with any wine or wine region in the world, you have a huge range of quality possible within cava. So you have everything from the things you see stacked in a grocery store that will be six ninety nine, five ninety nine. That mm-hmm. will be everyday my wines. Kind of wine. So you know that's going to be great for for mimosas on weekends, but it's not going to it's not going to be very complex or something that's going to necessarily show a lot of character of where it comes from. This right. is something we hope to find in great wine. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can find cava that comes from individual producers that grow all their own grapes, like that growers. are aged that are aged longer sure. on yeast, that's made more like champagne. So you have that huge range in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, this is cava that's unusually most cavas produced in Penedès in Catalonia in the northeast of Spain. Mm-hmm. This one's coming from a region called Utiel-Requena, which is in Valencia province in the southeast, but in the mountains. So you're at higher elevations. I think we need a foodie in the beast uh, field trip, too. We always do. Yeah. I think I every mean, can, show. You know, Valencia is the land of uh, paella, so right. this would be perfect with paella. So here you have a blend of Macabeo and Chardonnay. Uh-huh. Chardonnay is a classic grape variety for sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. Macabeo is also known as Vera in the north and is also a classic grape variety for cava. It's and what 80. is what is a, this bottle specifically? What's the price range of that? Uh, so this retails around 14 is our okay, suggested so super, retail price nationally. Super, yeah, it's still affordable. affordable. Yeah, but you, you'll notice compared to something like, say, Prosecco, the main thing about the difference versus those kind of comparable price points is you'll find a little bit maybe more complex aroma here, and the texture of the mousse is a little bit finer. The bubbles the are The bubbles are different. Here. Yes, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's, that's the difference Prosecco because of the process. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Prosecco is really high bubble. So for me, the flavor here, you get this sort of bright citrus, kind of almost Meyer lemon, kind of ripe orange citrus character, mm-hmm. a little bit of that yeastiness and balanced acidity. It's no, a, it's, it's really a brute, nice. So it's... Not dry. It's dry, right. but not bone dry. We got right. about a, a minute No, no, no. And a half. Wait. We're going to taste this. Oh, yeah. This. Well, I was going to ask about. Please do. She doesn't know what I'm going to ask. I don't know what Let's you're going to ask. Let's talk about your reds. So we brought a yes. red. The red is called Acentor. It's a garnacha. 
Garnacha is one of the best-known grapes uh, probably in the world, but also mm-hmm. certainly in Spain that's uh, kind of got a reputation as its own entity. Yeah, People know nice. Garnacha even if they don't know where it's grown. This is grown in a region called Calatayud, which is in Aragon, which is uh, northeastern central Spain. High elevation vineyards mm-hmm. grown on iron-rich clay soil. It's aged five months and used. It's got a beautiful barrels. minerality to it. Yeah, so, it's really you nice. The color is quite deep. That's mm-hmm. mostly because of the high elevation. So you're in a cool area. you got low pH, deep colors, and these kind of bright, jammy fruit. Right. Soft texture, easy to drink. That's very typical of Grenache. But now this is, a, but I feel like this is not one of the more, there's sort of, Spain has like these more well-known wines, but, sure. but how are you educating people? You know, how do you educate people on all these offerings now that are available? Uh, yeah, well, that's a, that's always a perennial challenge of our business, right. right? So there's, you know, there's the, the basic static things like a website where we put information out. There's mm-hmm. the face-to-face of being in market and that's selling to Distributors and retailers. That's also mm-hmm. doing events in restaurants, so wine dinners, or doing events yeah, like with Vincent. Social media program or not so you're, much. You're talking to it. Okay. Hi. Okay. Hi. <laughs> well, you're very social. So tell us, um, tell um, everybody where they can find you, please. Uh, so we're called Grapes of Spain. That's the name mm-hmm. of our company. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, ask your local wine retailer your favorite bottle shop to stock our wines. You'll find our logo on the back. It's a Grapes black diamond Spain. called Grapes of right, Spain. How Excellent. do we get tickets to the event? Well, I mean, if you could also try the Grapes of Spain wine on October 20th at Absolutely. the Recipe for Empowerment. We're okay. going to be having this cava and also this red, and there's a white that I'm really excited <coughs> about as well mm-hmm. in the mix. Um, and you can figure out more stuff about VFF by going to vffusa.org. And if you want specific event tickets, vffusa.org slash RFE 2018, that's the recipe for empowerment because we really believe that there's a lot of great ingredients, great wine that can make a huge empowering impact in the lives of people. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank you for joining us. In dos minutos, tell us about your last beer. All right. So so here we go for all the folks that love pumpkin spiced everything. Brom Bones Elixir. Boy, don't say that like you love it. You're like saying like you're exhausted. I mean, if you so, like this stuff. Strong beer, um, 8% alcohol, and spiced wow. with Thank you. cinnamon, nutmeg, allspice, clove, and it ginger. Good. It smells good. And it, smells it is good. pretty much pumpkin pie in a glass, but it's not sickly sweet like you might expect. No, you know what? It smells it, like it's going to be, but it's, it finishes no, it's like a beer. No, it's not sweet. But do you nice think taste. that that's the problem with like these some of these beers is that people are going sweeter and sweeter? Yeah, some, some of the kitschy like beers are, are too sweet. They're they're sickly sweet. We call it cloying. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it's not pleasant to drink a whole bunch. I don't think so. You want it to dry out and finish and clean up at the end. And sure. so by getting your beer dry, getting the residual sugar stuff to be as low as possible, then you have a very drinkable beer. Great. Okay. So tell people, like, how many beers do you guys make a year? Um, in a year, I, I make about 35 or 40 different styles of beer mm-hmm. um we have five on tap all the time the yellow beer and it's, but at rock bottom it's just your beers right you don't serve other people's beers uh we do have some guest taps um there okay. are some people that no matter what refuse to drink craft beer um so huh. we do have who are well, those people Marilyn natty bow okay um we have miller light uh guinness um and we have a cider to offer well, guinness now the, has a, a place people. here in maryland they do have a, right. a place here in maryland i actually made the third round of interviews for that place did you really but and it is a beautiful facility. I don't are know if you guys are you leaving. Is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> Every opportunity, like, you, you always <laughs> you always have to keep your options open. No, 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 I'm totally with you. All right, All right. tell everybody All right. where they can find you. Jeez. Um, so it's Rock Bottom, Bethesda, Maryland. It's uh, 7900 Norfolk Avenue. 
We will be right in the thick of Taste Norfolk of Bethesda. Norfolk and Cordell. Can't miss it. Norfolk between uh, Cordell and St. Helens. Oh, and Stephanie. Yeah. Stephanie, just come back up to the mic. Just tell everybody, please, where they can find out about Taste of Bethesda. Sure. If you visit our website, which is Bethesda.org, you can mm-hmm. see the listing of all the restaurants, the listing of the entertainment, information on how to get tickets, where to go to get tickets, um, all the information, and you can kind of pre-plan where you want to eat. All right. Excellent. It's right. October Map it 6th. out. Right. Map, Map it, it out. out. That's, That's plan smart. your day. Don't that. eat the Friday before. All right. right. Hit. Uh, Chefs for Equality. Okay, so as many of you know, Chefs for Equality is October 9th. This is an event that is very dear to my heart. We are raising funds for the Human Rights Campaign. It is uh, for 600 people. It is at the National Cathedral this year. We are so excited. It's going to be a blowout gala. 60 chefs, 20 mixologists, a champagne lounge, a speed diner, and a lot of surprises, including um, our favorite drag queens who come every year. So it is always an amazing event. We are raising funds for civil liberties for the LBGTQ community, and we hope you'll all join us uh, that night because it's going to be amazing. All right. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. So, and on November the 11th, it's a little premature. Uh, it's not premature. Will, Mark will, your calendars. November join, 11th. We will join uh, the folks at Neighborhood Restaurant Group and mm-hmm. uh, Blue Jacket for their fifth anniversary. And we're going to be doing a live two hour uh, 10th anniversary show right. with uh, folks from way, way deep in the past. And uh, more current guests. Uh, we're gonna. It's gonna be a hoot. It's gonna be a real party. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope you guys will come down there. There's no charge for admission. There'll be great food. Lots of beer. Sorry, yes. boys. It'll be blue jacket beer. It will be okay. blue jacket beer. Um, but also three star beer. And three star beer. Yeah. Yes. Dave Coleman and Mike McGarvey will be there. But yeah. we, I mean, it's going to be a real It'll blast. It'll be really so fun. Just mark your calendar for the 11th. It's blue jacket. We'll have more on, info on it very soon. The and then lastly, if you don't know, we also have a second radio show, and that's on Mondays at the Line Hotel. I'm exhausted. I know. It's called Industry Night. And it's a super deep dive into lots of really interesting things that are going on in the restaurant industry, predominantly in the D.C. market, but not always. Uh, tomorrow, we have good uh, a good old friend uh, in studio. We have Kelly DiNardo. Um, she uh, is a freelance food writer, uh, not just in D.C., but all around the world. And uh, she has a new book out. So we're having her on tomorrow, which is going to be great. But you can go to fullserviceradio.org and uh, find all of our past shows, which have been fabulous as well. That was well done. Thank you. I'm very good at this. And I'm just going to, this is a shameless plug, but on October 5th, we will have been married 22 There's years. There's no plug there. Nobody and cares. together 25 years. Well, I just said, I mean, if you want to send presents, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but um, Lots of people are married for a long time. I know. It's not that big of a deal. But not me. This is, this is the longest <laughs> well, I've ever. Well, that's also true. This is the longest I've ever been married. That's so. also <laughs> true. Okay. So you get a gold star. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay. Want to wrap it up? You yeah. Want me well, too? listen, everything you heard about on the show today uh, you can find info on uh, Nikki's website, thelistareyouonit.com. Follow yep. her on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow her on WTOP Live every Thursday at 1240. Mm-hmm. And as I'm happy to say, don't follow me anywhere because I ain't nowhere. And I want to congratulate our new intern, Sophia, who Woo-hoo! did an awesome Yay, job. Yay, Sophia! I want to say her, her Facebook Live work put Tessa in the grave because I was watching it here. Okay. So, Tess, Wrap you're it up. out. Okay, so thank you all for coming in today. Next week, of course, we have another incredible show. But for right now, have a delicious week.